Welcome, and thanks for listening along with Kingstown Communion, an inclusive and affirming United Methodist Church in the Kingstown area of Alexandria, Virginia. And our community exists to gather people, just like you here now, into communion with Christ and extend God's table into the world through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. This podcast is just one way that we live this out. For more information about our church or to give to our ministry, visit kingstowncommunion.net. And if you live nearby, we hope you'll join us for worship on Sundays at Hayfield Secondary School. Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove upon him. And a voice came from the heavens, you are my son, the beloved with you. I am well pleased. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, this time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in the boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Yeah. Oh, oh, sorry. I thought we better roll off. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> so, uh, yesterday, our leadership team gathered for our <laughs> retreat that we do every January. Uh, and we actually did it in um, at the same time as this conference that was happening, that was being hosted by the district, um, the United Methodist District. And it was all about, hey, we're doing a sermon series about the E word, evangelism. It was about evangelism. And so the, and there was something that the keynote said, keynote speaker said that made me feel like I have to like apologize to you. He said, uh, he said hey, pastors, you know, when people invite people to church, you got to make sure that when they invite their friend to church, it's a quality enough service where their their friend wants to come back. That's your responsibility, pastors. Like you bring their responsibility is to invite them, right? To invite them. But uh, what happens when they get there and then you gave them a big dud egg, right? Like what 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 happens? So I have to apologize because um, last week I was so exhausted for multiple reasons, and it was like. Just a dud. It was. I gave you a dud. So I, I felt it. I felt it in my core. I have to apologize. It was a dud. I know. Every once in a while, I, I'll. You know. I. This is my moment of confession to you. Um, and so before we begin today's um, today's uh, sermon and, and and get to today's scripture, I wanted to just for a second think about last week's scripture. Um, 
And it does, it ties into this. And maybe we'll call this today a do-over, right? This is going to be a do-over day. Um, so last, last week we were in, in 1 Samuel. Think for a second that story. Um, it said that the word of the Lord was rare in those days. Darkness was over the earth. But the lamp of God had not yet gone out. With the lamp of God still like just a little bit kindled, God speaks to Samuel and says, Samuel, Samuel. Notice how particular that is. There's a particularity in that. When God, um, when God calls or when God speaks, God says your name, Samuel's name. And Samuel, you know, the word of the Lord had been rare. Darkness covered the earth. Samuel did not recognize the voice of God. Didn't know where God was. Didn't know that that was God. And Samuel thought it was the priest. And God calls again. Samuel. Alex. Brian. And. I'm not calling you out. I'm saying. Make sure. Stop talking over there. Um, Samuel. Samuel, and he, the word of the Lord's been rare, did not recognize the story, didn't see God speaking, did not hear God calling, and, um, and then says it again, and it took Eli coming over and saying, actually, I think, actually, I think that's God speaking to you. That's God calling you, Samuel. And it says that Samuel, Samuel said these words that we never got to last week which is why I think they're super important. We never got to it. I don't know what happened. Time ran away from me, and all of a sudden, it was way too late, and I was like, I didn't even give my sermon. I don't even know what happened. Um, but we never got to these words at the very end of it that are so important. Samuel says, Speak, Lord, for I am listening. And then it says that everyone in Israel, everyone in Israel, knew of Samuel, knew of Samuel's faith because he was willing to say, speak, Lord, I'm listening. Which brings me to our scripture for today. Um, and I'm going to put it back on the screen. Or Richard's going to do that. Thank you. It says that um, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized in, in the river by John. Um, and just as he was coming out of the water, the heavens tore apart and the spirit descended like a dove and a voice came. So this is the baptism story of Jesus, right? And then the next part, after John was arrested, these things happened. And for a second, let's pause because we need to know why was John arrested? He was, he had just right before, what did he do? He baptized Jesus. So John's now arrested um, after this. And Jesus comes to Galilee proclaiming the good, um, good news now after John's arrested and saying that the time has come. And Jesus passes along the Sea of Galilee and he sees Simon and he sees Andrew and they're out there fishing. For they were fisher, they were fishermen. And Jesus says to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of people. And immediately 
they leave their nets and they follow. There's this, um, there's a similarity here between Samuel and this story. It's almost like this kind of follow me, I will make you fishers of people, and, or the fact that they, they leave their nets and they follow him. We should hear behind it, really underneath it. I hope you hear. Speak, Lord, I'm listening. <clears throat> In this account of Jesus' baptism, um, it's super brief. There are, other, there are other accounts of it. There's other accounts of this. They're longer, but it only runs three verses. That's it. And so Mark, Mark does a lot of things short or not at all. Mark doesn't have an account of Jesus' birth at all. Matthew and Mark have a uh, Matthew. Sorry, Matthew and Luke actually have a couple of chapters related to it, but but Mark doesn't. John has this huge prologue about the Word of God made flesh. Mark doesn't. But in Mark, Jesus Jesus's first appearance is at his baptism. At this moment where um, where the heavens part, then John is arrested. And these people begin to come to the shoreline and say, okay, I'll follow. Speak, Lord, for I'm listening. And these people, these, these people are Simon and Andrew and James and John. Um, they, at Jesus' baptism, they are likely onlookers. They've been, on, they've been at the, you know, this is the Jordan, now we're at the Galilee, but, but they've been watching. They've been watching these things happen. Mark's, Mark's uh, gospel on, uh, on Jesus' baptism is super brief, but in these three verses, it's crammed in this little teeny story, I think, the entire gospel of Mark. In order to understand what Jesus means in this by you, you're going to be fishers of men, in order to understand how Simon and Andrew and James and John could just drop everything and say, speak, Lord, I'm listening. Drop everything. Drop all their nets. This, and, and, and follow this call to be fishers of men. We have to read this story in light of the fact that right before it, Jesus is baptized. The Gospel of Mark is really made up of these three main stories. And they all appear in Jesus' baptism. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to test these stories on you. And I wonder which one feels like it fits. Story one, let's call it the Messiah story. In this story, Jesus is the person with awesome power who can change the weather and feeds the hungry, like takes bread and multiplies it, takes fish and multiplies it. In this story, Jesus heals the sick. People walk because of this. People come back to life because of this. This is, in this story, this is, the, this is the light at the edge, right? This is the light worth sharing. This is the story that we connect to in this Messiah story, to the one, the one person with this awesome power who can change the weather and feed the hungry and heal the sick and perform miracles. And these powers are are, are the outward signs we know of, these, of this deeper power that Jesus has. 
to free people from political oppression or from spiritual bondage and to restore Israel to God's company and to open up God's offer of friendship to all of humanity. In the Messiah story, also wrapped in this story, Jesus takes on and defeats the evil powers and dazzles everyone while doing it, from his disciples to the demons to the rulers like Herod and Pilate. And it's in the Messiah story that where, where it reaches its climax, finally, on the road um, to Caesarea and Philippi, when Jesus asked Peter who, who he is, and Peter says, Lord, you are the Messiah. It's the Messiah story where we get the conqueror who wins, the one who heals the broken places in us, the one who feeds the hungry places in us, the one who frees the captive places in us and in our world. And there's this big surprise kind of in this part of the story, of the Messiah part of the story, that, and that's that Jesus comes from Nazareth, that this one with all this power comes from Nazareth, which basically just translated as like nowhere's bill. And it's in this part of the story that it keeps us constantly wondering why does it seem like like Jesus is always keeping his identity a secret from us and, and why does it take him so long to get to Jerusalem well, I mean, it feels like every part of the story is just Jesus goes to another town and Jesus curses another fig, um, fig tree and Jesus goes to another town why does it take him so long to make his way to Jerusalem where we, we're pretty sure that the real action is going to begin there and so here's what I wonder I wonder if the Messiah story is, is the one that kind of took hold of you. Is that, is, that the, is that the part of the story that took hold of you? That Jesus is this, this healer, this conqueror? Is this the one, is this the Jesus that, that called you to release your nets? And come and follow. I wonder if it's the Messiah story that continues to feel the most compelling to you. Uh, why you come back? Because it's part of the story. So we'll, we're going to check out the other two. I'm going to feel the pulse on the other two stories for you. What keeps you coming back? Maybe it's this one. That Jesus holds the power to heal us and feed us and set us free. I wonder if that's the story that captured your heart. I wonder if that's the story that captured Simon's heart or Andrew's heart or James's heart, or John's heart. And at just the point where the Messiah story reaches its climax, Jesus says, you are the Messiah, we get story two. We get story two in earnest at this point. When Peter says, you are the Messiah, story two is this, is the beginning of the suffering part of the story. It's about conflict. It's about Jerusalem authorities and their feelings about Jesus. It's conflict with the authorities. It's conflict with the Romans. And it's conflict with death. And the surprise in this part of the story, the suffering part of the story, is that the Son of God isn't going to crush his adversaries as much as he has every right to do so. 
his real reason to do so. On the contrary, he seems, it, he seems, it seems like he's going to let them crush him. The Son of God is going to be despised and rejected and acquainted with grief. This is the tragic figure who loses in the end. So I wonder if you connected more with the conquering healer or if you connect more with the suffering loser. From time to time, we get glimpses of this tradition of the suffering servant, um, which is indeed part of the Old Testament expectation of, of Jesus, what we expect is to come. But it becomes clear in story two, this part of Mark, that, that no one but Jesus was taking bets on this kind of suffering Messiah. No one knew what was to come. And we spend the whole gospel waiting to see if the disciples will ever be able to rec reconcile these two stories. The story of the conquering Messiah and then the story of the suffering servant. But they never do. They never get it. The only person in the gospel who ever does is the centurion at the foot of the cross who at the moment Jesus has died this horrible death announces, oh, Truly, this is the Son of God. I wonder if it's this part of the story. Maybe it's this part that captured you first. Maybe it still kind of morbidly does capture you every year. Maybe you are one of those, those Good Friday, you live it. You need it. I wonder if it's a part of... Of the story, this part of the story is what first captured your heart, but that still maybe even feels like it does because it, you just kind of never got over it. I wonder if, the, if it's the suffering story that you most connect with, with that, that somehow Jesus' persecution and rejection and pain felt akin to yours or in solidarity with whatever you've experienced in life. Pain, tragedy, long-suffering, dissonance, untimely death and grief, maybe, that you, you felt like you, your whole life has kind of just wrestled with this. This defined your faith. Or maybe it's just in the irony, the irony of the one who is sent to save us and to do so has to die. Maybe that's what feels most compelling to you. Maybe you hear that story and you think, truly, this, is, this must be the Son of God. So you, maybe, maybe it's the Messiah story. Maybe, maybe it's the suffering story. Or maybe it's story three. Also, in, we get after this in the Gospel of Mark, we get to story three, which is the cosmic story. It's this extra dimension the dimension that reveals that Jesus initially celebrated as the Messiah and later brutally crushed as the suffering servant will nonetheless triumph over death and return to glory to judge and to vindicate and to establish God's kingdom on earth it's the cosmic story that Jesus where Jesus shows 
himself to be the one able to unlock the door between life and death now, between heaven and earth, and between humans and God, and, and reconciles all things together. It's this transfiguring kind of mountaintop story where Jesus is not only the, the story one Messiah, the one who, who fulfills the hopes of Israel embodied in, in, in Moses and Elijah, but, but he's this mysterious being now to, to whom the voice speaks from the heavens at, at this baptism as John baptizes him on the Jordan and the heavens break open and it's just, it's, it's mysterious and transcending and glorious. It's this ascending story where Jesus at, the, at, the, at his trial Jesus is not only the, the, the suffering servant who endures the taunts of his oppressors, but, but, but he's also this returning judge who announces the Son of Man will return on the clouds in heaven and will make everything right. I wonder if this is your story, the cosmic part of the story. I wonder if this is the part that captured you, maybe, when you first were captured by this story, because you had to be at some point to be here right now. I wonder if this keeps coming, it keeps bringing you back, this part. It kindled a flame in you um, for glimpses of God's kingdom around you, wherever they may be, with the poor. Hiking, a 14er, for those transfiguring, ascending, glorious mountaintop moments of life where you can just contemplate and bask in God's glory. I wonder if this is your story, watching the heavens parting, feeling the light of God's glory on your face. I wonder if that captured, if that's one of the stories that captured Simon or Andrew or James or John and made them cast their nets. So these three stories, there's the Messiah story, there's the suffering story, there's the cosmic story that make up Mark's gospel. And Mark manages to squeeze all three of these stories into this three-verse account at the beginning of Jesus' baptism. And it causes John the Baptist to be arrested and catalyzes um, Jesus' ministry and invites the disciples to to eventually come and follow and to, to be compelled by one of these stories. Most obvious in it, I think, is the Messiah story. Jesus is walking through water like Moses crossing the Red Sea, and John's like, John's like the great Old Testament figure, Elijah, demonstrating the heritage of power that Jesus the Messiah is about to be invested into for all eternity. And then you have those famous words, this is my son, which comes from actually a royal psalm in Psalm 2, reminding us of King David, who like Moses is this prototype of the conquering Jesus. But then just nine verses into the gospel also, we get story two. We get a little bit of the suffering. We get my beloved son. We're reminded of of the only time these words were ever, ever used in all of the Old Testament was when Abraham was going to sacrifice his son. And then the phrase, I'm well pleased with you. It comes from the beginning of the servants' songs of Isaiah, the very place where the language of, of suffering is introduced to the tradition surrounding this idea of the Messiah. So the baptism itself somehow this act of death and resurrection and drowning and 
drowning of self and being raised back to new life again. These, all these nods at this suffering story of Christ. And then there's glimpses of the cosmic story, the heavens parting, the dove, the Holy Spirit hovering over the waters of Jesus' baptism, taking all of us way back to the first chapters of Genesis where it says that, that the Spirit of God swept over the face of the earth. And so it's like, like kind of John's prologue in the beginning was the word. Mark tells us that that is what is going on at Jesus' baptism. It's, 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 a, it's a meshed in what is going on in creation. It's a meshed in what's going on in Jesus' suffering. It's a meshed in what's going on in Jesus' resurrection. And Mark weaves all these stories together, Messiah and suffering and cosmic. And it's no mistake that after Mark sums up this whole grand story of light and love, of healing and solidarity and new life, that we get Jesus beckoning folks to follow that. Beckoning us to follow that. Come and follow me. Leave your nets. Leave whatever you have behind. Come and follow me. But not just follow me, right? Not just follow me, but be fishers of men. Jesus beckons us to come and follow and be fishers of men. What Jesus is saying here, it's not just um, like some Jesus fish on the back of a bumper. Jesus is saying this story that compelled you, that still compels you, whichever part of it brings you back. It starts in, a, in that story, but it doesn't end with that story. It overflows like the waters of baptism into your story. Your story of God's work in your life, you choosing to follow Jesus. The way that God is still speaking in you and through you, the way the way God, despite all that distracts you and pulls you away, tends to all the time, and tempts you to do your own thing, or even just lean back in your, in your chair of faith with apathy or self-righteousness. The way that despite all that God is beckoning Despite all that you do to, to, to slough off God's beckoning of you, it's the way God is beckoning you to follow. When Jesus says, follow me, I will make you fishers of men, it's this gauge, it's this litmus test. It's, it's saying... The God who invited you, is that God worth anything to you? Is, it, is that God worth enough to you to invite others to come and see that God too? It's not just a, a, a sending out. It's not just, hey, go and grow my church. It's a it's a litmus test for our faith. Jesus says, you know, it starts here. It starts here. It starts with the story, 
whichever part first kindled that flame in you, whichever part, maybe it was the Messiah part or, or the suffering part or the cosmic part of it, it starts here. It starts in your backyard. It starts in, in your background, in your history, in your neighborhood, in your friend's circle with your fellow fishermen. It starts with the people you know on the shorelines. May you be fishers of men, people who aren't just invited, but who invite. Who haven't just experienced God's justice and compassion, but who speak of it. Who haven't just become a member of a church, but believe that this is the way, this way, this Kingstown way of seeing God and living faith is what the world needs. Not a postcard, not a community event, but an invite. Hey, I'll, I'll be at the shore today. I'll be at the shore today if you'd like to come and see. I'll be at the first church that ever felt like home to me this morning, if you want to come and see. Hey, I'll be, I'll be with my community of faith today, people who, for the first time ever, made me feel like I was a normal person in a church full of people. If you want to come and see, I'll be there. It's not weird, it's natural. It's natural for us to share what we're going through with the people that we see in our life regularly. I mean, like, just think about it. Like, when you show up to work, your coworkers, they, they often, you know, they know you, they might want to know what you did that weekend. It's the kind of stuff, the kind of stuff that we often leave out in the slew of things we share. When you hang out with your friends, they often want to know, like, you know, how, how is it going? Um, what's going on in your life? I mean, your family is curious, too. Tell me what's new with you. What is new with you? What do you do over the weekend? People come to you sometimes seeking input and wanting to talk to you and wanting to confide in you. And you often share a bit of your story. Talk about what's going on in your own life, how you, how, how you have experienced this too. Neighbors are often curious about what you're up to, even acquaintances, even acquaintances that interact with you on a daily basis in just the most insignificant ways. They're, they're curious about what you did, what you care about, who you are, what matters to you. It's not weird to share your faith. It's simple, and it's rooted in a story. And I think we, under, we underestimate just the people around us that respect us. 
and that we have relationships with that are genuinely curious about what makes us tick. What makes you, you? Jesus says, come and follow me. And a mark of following me is that you share it with others. Come and follow me and I will make you fishers of people, people who have been compelled by the Messiah story, people who have been compelled by the, by the suffering story, who need to hear those, who, have been, who might be compelled by the cosmic story too, that there is new life after whatever hell they're going through now. Hey, the water is, is just right. Come to the shoreline with me. Because when I go, I find beauty and I find wholeness. I find meaning, I find purpose when I go to the shoreline. I find a rule of life, a way that makes things fit together for me, that grounds me, that sets me free. Let me know if you want to join me sometime, if you want to come and see. Let's pray. Speak, Lord, for we're listening today. So much of um, modernity, God has aimed to separate faith from life. And we've bought right into it. As if they're two separate things. As if we have this Sunday thing and we talk about it as it being the core of who we are and it's, it's our meaning and our purpose. It's what grounds us and center, center, centers us and then we have our life. As if we've forgotten, God, that our, how we live our life, how we get through our day, how we enter into relationship with every person we meet is because of that centering and that purpose and that hope, that meaning that we find in you. But we have fallen into this trap, God, of separating the two. And so when someone asks us about ourselves, about what we did, about who we are, what we care about, it is like it doesn't even come to mind as if that's a significant part to share. We are so overwhelmed by what we do at work, by who we are as parents, by who we are as children, by who we are as spouse, and we completely detach from who we are and what matters to us and what we do, that we are also children of God. So God, forgive us for that. You know, darkness has covered the earth and the lamp of God is almost going out, but it's not out yet. And so in that flicker, we ask that you would um, light a flame from it. That we would begin to, to see this part, whatever compels us, drives us to a place like this, to hear a story that is so old and yet still so real that whatever compels us there might actually be worth 
important enough to slip into conversation. Might be worth making it not weird, but just saying, hey, this actually really matters to me. If you never want to come along, I mean, like, you're always welcome. Come with me on Sunday. And we might be blown away at what you will do, God. And so, you know, get rid of our fears, our doubts, whatever. But, we, but, but I don't really have any, I don't really know. That is, it's all excuses, God, for our discomfort and our, our, our saying that we want your light in our life, but it's not worth sharing. It's worth sharing, God. And we have no right to complain about the rest of the world or religion if we're not willing to share it. We join with you in that prayer about your kingdom, God, that you are building on earth. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.